0: So by way of review, uh, we talked about how God came to Abraham and, and he said to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham at that time, he and his wife were barren and they had no children and they were old, really old, past the years of bearing. And, and yet God fulfilled that promise to uh, Abraham and he gave him a son. And, and you know that the next, the, the son Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob and Jacob wrestled with God. We talked about that, and and his name was changed to Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons are what we now know as the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where the 12 tribes of Israel came from, the 12 sons of Israel, Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and we're going to learn a little bit more about them as we go through the book of Exodus, but, but then we talked about how there was one son, his name was Joseph, one of, one of those 12, and, and he was really his father Jacob's favorite son, and, and his father really showed partiality to him in more ways than one, and the brothers, as a result, hated him. And so they really connived, and they decided that they were going to throw Joseph in a pit and abandon him. He would end up dying there. And, and they were really, they didn't think much of it. And they actually, they kind of liked their idea, their little scheme. And so they threw him in this pit. And, and then they decided, they got a little, uh, they were, you know, their conscience was bothered a little bit. And they decided that they would take him out of that pit, and they would sell him to a band of Midianite traders that were going through. And so they sold him into slavery, and the Midianite traders took him to Egypt where he was then, uh, he became a slave in the house of Potiphar. And he served Potiphar well, and, and Potiphar kept elevating him. He had great favor with, with Potiphar, and, and, and Potiphar didn't withhold anything from him. Everything Joseph touched prospered, and, and Potiphar's wife put the moves on Joseph. We've talked about that. And, and, and she tried to seduce him and, and draw him into bed with her. And, and Joseph refused her every time. And then one time she really uh, got very, very strong with him. And he fled from her presence and she, he left his cloak in her hand. As a result, she took that cloak because she was scorned, and she went to her husband, and she lied and said that Joseph tried to rape her. And you know what happened? Joseph went to prison for that. He didn't do anything to deserve the prison that he was in. In fact, any prison that he was in, every single time, he did nothing to deserve it. And I just want to tell you that tonight, some of you are, are feeling like you're in a prison not of your own making, and you did nothing to deserve to be in it. Can I just tell you that God used those prison experiences in the life of Joseph to raise him up into the man that he could really use? God doesn't waste anything. And so he's in prison. He meets a baker and a cupbearer in prison. And, and, and they had these dreams and, and he interprets the dreams correctly. And, and they end up getting, one of them gets killed. The other one gets out of uh, prison. And he says to him on the way out of prison, remember me when you get back to the palace. Well, the cupbearer didn't do that. And years passed with Joseph still in prison, and, and, and then suddenly the pharaoh had a dream. And nobody in his whole kingdom could interpret this dream. And so it was then that the cupbearer remembered Joseph the man who interpreted his dreams correctly in prison. And so they, they sent for Joseph, and Joseph came and appeared before Pharaoh. And, and, and he says, you know, this is what your dream means. There's going to be seven good years followed by seven bad years, and you better make sure that you put somebody in charge who, who can really lead you through this time correctly. And, and Pharaoh says, well, I think you're pretty wise. Why don't we put you in charge? And, and so you know the story. Joseph begins to, to prosper in that kingdom, and he ends up rising up to, to being second in command only to Pharaoh himself. And Joseph prospered, and the kingdom prospered under his rule. And, and, and then all of a sudden, those seven good years were followed by seven bad years of famine. But because Joseph was so wise, he prepared the kingdom well for it, and, and they had grain when everybody else was in uh, famine. And so Joseph's brothers, they didn't disappear. They, they continued to live in Canaan. In fact, they told their father uh, that, that Joseph had been eaten by wild animals, and uh, you know He, he was dead. So many, many, many years pass, and and, and now there are these seven years of famine, and and all of a sudden, uh, Jacob, he needs to feed his family, and so he sends his sons to Egypt because he heard that they had bread in Egypt. And so Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to buy grain, and who do they meet but Joseph? And they're terrified because they know what they did to him. And, and Joseph says, what we, we talked about this, where he, he says, uh, what, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, for the saving of many men. And, and, and we talked about how, what would our problems look like instead of hatred and unforgiveness if we were able to say to somebody, what you meant for evil in my life, God is using for good. What would happen if we began to look at our unfortunate circumstances that way? And so uh, Joseph sends his brothers back to get his father. Uh, they move to Goshen. So now Joseph and his, his family live in, jo- in, in Goshen. And there's probably about 70, 75 of them that are living in this beautiful area of Egypt, just off of Egypt. And it's, and it's a land that they can, they can sh- shepherd in and, and they really begin to prosper while they're there. And Joseph dies during that time. And, 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 and the... the, the um, that Joseph and his brothers, their families just begin to prosper and multiply. And the Israelites, as they're now known, become numerous and powerful. And, and the Hebrew people are multiplying and, and they're getting strong. And, and all of a sudden, a pharaoh rises up who did not know Joseph. And he is threatened by by the Israelites multiplying and getting stronger. Because I'm going to tell you what, your enemy will always be threatened when you start to grow up, when you start to mature, when you start to multiply and get stronger and prosper. I promise you, your enemy will take notice to that. And the Pharaoh took notice to the Hebrew people prospering and getting stronger. And he was threatened by that. He was intimidated by that. And so the only thing he knew to do to keep that down so that they could not rise up before, they, he was afraid that they would rise up against him and bring his kingdom down. And so he put them into slavery and appointed cruel taskmasters over them. And he put heavy burdens on them. You see, that's what your, your enemy will always do when he sees you prospering, when he sees you, you drawing closer to the Lord, when he sees you uh, begin to multiply and your life look better. He will bring burdens and put on you to try to keep you small. And so that didn't work. Actually, it backfired on him, and the, the Israelites began to prosper even more. And, and then he said, I have to find another plan. And then we talked about how he decided he was going to kill off uh, the, the firstborn. He was going to kill off uh, any male children that are born. And so he said to the, the Hebrew midwives, he says, when you see a child born and it's a male, kill it. Well, that backfired because the, the Hebrew midwives wouldn't do that. They would obey God versus obey Pharaoh. So that plan backfired, and he had to come up with another one. And so then he said to his people, every Hebrew child that you, male child that you see born, I want you to take them and throw them into the Nile and kill them. Well, it was at that time that Moses was born, and you know the story. We covered it many weeks ago. And, and how he was born in the tribe of, of he was a Levite. That's important. His mother was a Levite. His father was a Levite family. And so Moses is born, and his mother sees that he's not an ordinary child. She knows that there's something about his life that's going to be different. I have a new grandbaby coming, and I pray almost every single day that there's something about that child's life that's different, that he's set apart from from the womb, that he is different, that that God will use him to be mighty for the Lord. And and Moses' parents looked at him, and they knew there was something different about him, even as a child. And so they hit him, because they knew that that male children were being thrown into the Nile and killed. So for three months, they hit him, and then the mother built a little ark, and and she put him in it. and, and, And she placed, I believe, she placed him at the most perfect spot where Pharaoh's daughter would see him and take pity on him. I believe it was all planned out. And so Pharaoh's daughter sees Moses. She she draws him out of the water. In fact, that's what his name means. Moses means one who is drawn out. And and that is what she chose to name him. And she decides she's going to adopt him. Think about it. A Hebrew child that should have been killed is now being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He's going to be raised in the palace. He's going to be educated uh, with the top education, the top tutors. He's going to learn and be treated just like royalty. (laughs) He's going to learn what happens in the courts of, 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 of Pharaoh. He's being trained and God knew it all along. So we talked about that and how Moses' mother got to nurse him and got paid for it. And so I believe that she spent those years while she was nursing him before she turned him over to Pharaoh's daughter. I believe she told him about the God of Israel. And I believe she trained him up in the way he should go, because when he's old, we see he did not depart from it, even though he was raised in an Egyptian palace where he would have been, he would have been exposed to all the gods of Israel, who, who he would have, or all the gods of Egypt, and, and he would have been, been trained under Pharaoh. Pharaoh was like a god. He wanted his community, he wanted his people, he wanted the, the, the Egyptians to see him as a god. That's how he viewed himself. That his, his way, his authority could not be usurped by anybody. That he was supreme over all. And that's important in tonight's message. And so Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house. And, and we talked many weeks ago about how Moses knew there was something different about him. And one day he went out to visit his, the, the Hebrew people who were in, in harsh slavery. And he saw a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian and he got angry and he, he killed the Egyptian and he covered him up and buried him in the sand and, and he, he really felt like what he did was good and the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and, and he tried to separate them and one of the Hebrews said, who appointed you ruler and prince over us? Are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses, the Bible says, knew that he had been found out knew that what he, had did, been, had been, what he had done had been discovered. And so Pharaoh found out about it, and he sought to kill Moses. And that's where our story left off the last time we met. Moses had fled to Midian, to the backside of the desert, and there he met a woman. He married her interesting, her family were, were shepherds. And, and remember, Moses was raised in an Egyptian household and shepherds were an abomination to, to Egyptians. And now here we find Moses for 40 years being a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And I think he's quite content there. You see, when he, when he killed that Egyptian, I think he tried to take matters into his own hands and, and he just felt like he was a failure. That he had let God down. And so when he fled to Midian, I think he was fleeing the call of God on his life as well. I think he thought, God, I just blew it. It's done. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to get on with life as as, as it, you know, whatever. I'll just be a shepherd. And I think he just got comfortable in that. See, some of you are in that place right now where there's a strong call of God on your life. But you you think you've messed up or you haven't done what God has called you to do. And so you're, you're fleeing and you're in the backside of a desert when God wants you. Fulfilling the call of God on your life. And so the Bible says that that Moses stayed in Midian for 40 years. And one day he was out shepherding and, and all of a sudden there was a bush that was ignited. And there was nothing unusual about a bush being ignited. But this bush, it didn't just burn up. It didn't just, you know, it wasn't just consumed with fire and then burn out. It was, it continued to burn. And it wasn't consumed. And that attracted Moses' attention. And he went over and God spoke to him out of that bush. The angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And it was God calling him, setting him apart, reminding him of the call that was on his life, saying, this moment is holy. I'm calling you to deliver my people, to set them free. And Moses is like, you know what? I tried that one time and I blew it. God, who am I? Did you not know who you're calling and how much I've messed this up already? And God very gently reminds him, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. And Moses then is like, I'm not spiritual enough, I don't even know your name. And God says, let me tell you my name, I am. Everything you have need of, I am, I'll be that for you. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how many times you've messed up, it doesn't matter what you've done or how incapable you feel, it is all about me, Moses. Now go deliver my people. And Moses then goes back and tells his wife. And God does some really funky things with the rod. We talked about that with his staff. And, and he begins to show him his power. And he reminds him who he is and how powerful he is. So Moses says, I still can't do it. Could you just send somebody else? And eventually God decides that he'll send Moses' brother Aaron, who Moses hasn't seen in 40 years, with him. And so at that moment, God nudges Aaron to go try to find Moses in Midian. He has no idea where Moses is at, but Aaron's on his way and Moses meets him. That's just our God, isn't it? So powerful. And so they decide, uh, God, uh, Moses tells Aaron all about what God has has told him, and he tells him about the rod and how it turned to a snake and how God did all this miraculous stuff and how God wanted them to deliver the Israelites from slavery. And they're pumped because they had this, uh, Moses had this supernatural encounter with God. And we talked about the importance of having a supernatural encounter with God. If you're not pumped about God, it's because you've never encountered him supernaturally. I promise you that. I promise you that you have not tarried enough to to encounter him at a level where he rocks your world and changes your life. And you see, Moses is coming off of that. He had just encountered the only true and living God. He had experiences with other gods in the Egyptian household, but he understood there was something about this one that was radical, that was different. This is the God he had been raised to know. And now this God was calling him to do what seemed to be impossible. And so Moses goes back, and and he's, you know, remember, he's going back to the very people who he ran to Midian to avoid, the ones who laughed at him and said, who do you think you are to be a prince, a deliverer over us? We don't need you, Moses. Thanks, but no thanks. We're quite comfortable in our slavery. And so I don't think that he was going back dreading that, that God had asked him to do this. I think he was dreading what people might say to him. And he goes back and it picks up in chapter 4, verse 29. We see that Moses and Aaron go back and they talk to the elders and the children of Israel. And they told him what Moses had said, what the Lord had said to Moses. And they, they showed him the, the signs that he did in the sight of the people. And verse 31 says, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited, and that word visited means paid attention to, oh, when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked in their affliction and they bowed their head and worshiped. When they heard that the Lord had heard their cries, that he had paid attention to them, they bowed their head and worshiped. Can I just tell you that we have a God who pays attention to you. He's the God who sees. He sees you. He knows your circumstances. And he wants to deliver you and set you free from them. And so the Israelites now are, were on board and they were excited about what God was going to do. You see, he was, Moses was convinced that God was going to do what he said he would do. But now he had to convince them. Now they were on board. But now who did he have to go to? He had to go to Pharaoh and convince him. And so that's where we're going to pick up tonight in chapter 5 verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, there are some things you need to know before we begin uh, the teaching tonight. I want to remind you that freedom is the reason Christ came. He came to set us free, and he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Galatians 5, 1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Can I tell you, it's already been done. It's already accomplished. But then that scripture goes on and it says, therefore... It is for freedom that Christ has already set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Can I tell you that you have been set free than the cross of Calvary. When Christ came, he came to set you free. It's been done. It was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. But, but you and I can choose to submit again to a yoke of slavery. And that's what we're going to see tonight in the lives of the Israelites. I want you to remember that they've been in slavery for over 400 years, probably more like 450 years. They had been submitting to a yoke of slavery. They were God's people. The ability for them to be set free was there, the power to be set free was there. And for 450 years, what? 20 generations. All they had known was slavery. And can I just tell you that tonight there are some of you sitting here and all you've known is slavery. You say, well, Rhea, I don't have cruel taskmasters and I'm not being whipped and I don't have heavy burdens on me. Really? Your slavery might look like slavery to a bottle. It might look like slavery to food, addiction. It might look like slavery to pornography. It might look like slavery to a a nasty temper or a cruel personality. It might look like slavery to the opinions of other people. But I promise you in most lives here tonight, there's a cruel taskmaster who has taken you captive to do his will. And you are God's people. And it is for freedom that you have been set free. And we do not have to submit again to a yoke of slavery. These people had never known what it was like to be free. I'm shocked that they would so willingly believe Moses because it took immense faith to believe that that God could deliver them because slavery is all they've ever known. And for some of you, maybe slavery to an addiction is all you've ever known. It's your normal. You know you're God's people, but it's your normal. God wants to work in you tonight. There are some pictures that we see in Scripture that we've been talking about the last couple months. Remember that Egypt represents the draw or the lure of the world. It's seductive. It's appealing. It's, it's an, an indulgence. And Pharaoh represents the devil who tries to keep us in bondage and slavery to sin. Scripture says the devil has taken us captive to do his will. The Israelites were taken captive by Pharaoh to do his will, to work for him, to labor for him. And so it's a picture of what the enemy wants us to do for him. And just like the Israelites needed a deliverer, they needed Moses to rise up and set them free. So do we, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus came to deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But Pharaoh, we'll see, is not there. he's not going to let the Israelites go without a fight. And neither will Satan. Pharaoh represents a stumbling block that keeps people from being released and deliberately in the freedom that Christ died for them to walk in. And in tonight's story, we're going to realize that sometimes slaves like their bondage. Sometimes slaves learn to say captivity is our normal. It's where we're comfortable. And even with the promise of deliverance, they keep returning to it. It's interesting as we go through this story, we'll find that even after the Israelites were set free and they were in the wilderness headed to the promised land, that they longed to go back to Egypt. How is that even possible? And then I'm reminded how every time God does something powerful in my life and he breaks me free from an addiction or or from something I'm a slave to, and and I get some some sense of freedom, how the the first nudge of something bad in my life, or the the, the first time there's trouble in my life, the the temptation to want to go back to that slavery is there, to return to that taskmaster is there, and we're going to see that in the lives of of the Israelites. So let's pick up in Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, and this is after, that afterward is after Moses and Aaron had met with the Israelite people and they were excited about what God was doing. In fact, they worshiped God. They were so excited about it. And so after that, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. Now, I want you to see the verbiage that's used here. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. I I don't want you to miss that. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. This is the first time that we see the Lord, the God of Israel being used. It's the first occurrence of that name. And what, what Moses and Aaron are doing is they're marching into Pharaoh, which by the way, doesn't it surprise you how easily they can get an audience with Pharaoh? Remember, Moses is from the royal family. And so that was not unusual that he could get an audience with with Pharaoh. But I also believe that he had such confidence in what God had told him to do, that it was in him, that he understood he was God's mouthpiece, that he was God's copper pipe, that that all he had to do was let God flow through him, that God was going to do this. That it wasn't about anything Moses had to offer. It was about him just being a vessel for God to use. And so he marched in that palace understanding that it had nothing to do with him and everything to do with God and that God was going to use him to speak a message to Pharaoh. And we know that because of the verbiage he used, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. That, that was the voice, that was the, the verbiage of a prophet. Thus says the Lord, I have a word from the Lord for you. It wasn't his words, it was the word of the Lord to Pharaoh, let my people go, that they may worship me and hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I ever say, nor will I ever let Israel go. So they said, the the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with a sword. Now I want you to see that that Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Remember, I told you that Pharaohs were like a god. They, they viewed themselves as a god. In fact, the, the, the commentators that I read said that most Pharaohs were, were, were demonically influenced, that they had so many gods around them and that they submitted, they wanted power so badly that they would have submitted to those demonic influences. And so they viewed themselves as a god. They understood that their authority was supreme in the land and that nobody would challenge their authority. Who is the Lord? That I should let his people go? Are you kidding me? Do do you know who I am, Moses? And isn't that the problem with us? Who is the Lord that he should tell me what to do? And that's what, what Pharaoh is saying there. That I should obey his voice. I do not know the Lord. That's the first problem. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let, people, nor will I let Israel go. And, and a lot of people say, well, Ria, why did God harden his heart? Why, why, why did God make Moses go to, to Pharaoh and say this? If Pharaoh was going to harden his heart anyway, it didn't make any sense. Because I'm just going to tell you that God is about to show Pharaoh who he is. He may not know him, but we're going to see in the next couple of weeks that God is going to demonstrate exactly who he is to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was going to know him well before this story is over. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. We've encountered him. That's what that means. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God. I want you to see the change in tone there. First, we see him go in and says, thus says the Lord. There's authority, there's power there. But then Pharaoh comes and he's hostile and he challenges them. And what do they do? They back down. Please let us go. Look at the change in tone there. Moses is already forgetting the power that's in him. Can I tell you that tonight I'm up here preaching and I feel it feels cold to me. And in my mind, I'm saying, Lord, this has to be you. It can't be me. I'm well aware of the challenge that's coming at the teaching even tonight. And we cannot forget the authority that we walk in. And the Lord is reminding me, even as I'm preaching, don't forget the authority that you walk in, Rhea. Verse 4, the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And that word labor means burden forced labor. It means burden bearing. Moses, you're putting in their, their mind ideas that they could actually be free from this burden bearing? Oh, come on, Moses. Don't talk to them about that kind of stuff. Let them get back to their burden bearing. See, that's what the enemy wants. He wants you so focused on your burdens. He wants you so focused on the slavery that he has you in. that that you don't understand that Christ died for you to be free that you don't have to stay in that place of bondage if you're here tonight and you're in bondage to bitterness if you're in bondage to anger if you're in bondage to an addiction can I tell you what you have a promise of God that says he is your deliverer and he wants to bring you out into a place of freedom and victory and that's a promise from God and you have to make up your mind tonight will you believe the promise of God or will you continue to allow the enemy to put burdens on you that distract you from the promise that God has for you. You have a choice what you're going to look at in your life. Will you look at your circumstances and let them dictate to you whether you're free or not, whether you're in pain or not, whether you're walking in victory or not, or will you choose to say, regardless, Pharaoh, (laughs) I'm getting out of this. I'm walking away free. I'm walking out of this in victory. So you can bring on the burdens. You can bring on the trials. You can bring on the troubles. But let me just tell you about the God of Israel. Let me tell you about his power and his might. And he sent a deliverer for me. And his name is Jesus. And so you can keep bringing it. But let me just tell you what. I am walking out victoriously. I want the Israelites to say that. That's what I want them to say. They have this pep talk from Moses and Aaron. And they're all excited about God going to deliver them. And now all of a sudden, Pharaoh puts all this burden on them. And we're going to see, he says, you know what? Not only am I not going to let them go, I'm going to increase their burden. Because if they want to go and they want to draw closer to their God, they must have too much time on their hands. And so not only are you going to continue to make bricks, but take away the straw. You see, the straw, they would bring baskets of straw for them to mix in with the clay, and that would harden the bricks and make them uh, firmer, and they wouldn't break apart as easily. They were, it would make it easier to work with as well. And they said, now, not only do you have to keep this quota of bricks, but you're going to have to find your own straw. Hmm. And we're not going to decrease your quota, because you, you're way too idle. You have too much time on your hands. So... Here's a little extra burden for you. Isn't that what the enemy does? Perform, perform, perform. Excel, excel, excel. You know, keep working, working, working. Busy yourself so you don't have time for God. And so let's see what happens. Let's go back to to our passage here. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest or cease from their burden bearing. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go gather the straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks, which they made before you. You shall not reduce it for they are idle. Therefore, they cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. I I love that. That word false means a lie, sham. It it comes from the root to to trick. And it means, the word regard means to look for aid. They're looking for aid from God's false words, Pharaoh's saying. Oh, can I tell you, God means what he says. And Pharaoh is about to find that out. And the taskmasters of the people and the officers went out and spoke to the people saying, Thus says Pharaoh. Look at that. Look at the mockery there. Thus says the Lord, let my people go in verse 1. And now we're saying, oh yeah? Thus says Pharaoh. Do you understand who your God is and what your enemy wants to do to keep you from getting free? And so thus says Pharaoh. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was no straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today and before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? That's striking to me. These people had had a promise from God that he was going to deliver them. Do you understand that? A promise from God, the God of the universe, that the all-powerful, almighty God, that he was going to deliver them. A promise, a promise-keeping God gave them a promise. I am the the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. Let me just remind you of that. And I am going to deliver you. That's my promise to you. And unlike Pharaoh, I am a promise-keeper. And they had that promise. And now at the first sign of trouble, what do they do? They go back to the one who had enslaved them, looking for help. And they cried out to the one who had enslaved them, asking him to change the circumstances. That's what we do. At the first sign of trouble in our life, we return to the one who enslaved us and we go back to being a slave of sin and we go back to indulging in things we know will only put us into bondage. Instead of crying out to the promise-keeping God to do what he's promised to do, instead of saying, I am not moving, I believe that no matter what my circumstances look like right now, no matter how bad they appear, that I have a promise-keeping God who's gonna deliver me and set me free. Do you believe that? So the Bible says that they returned to Pharaoh and cried out to him. Isn't it interesting how we always return to the place that keeps us in bondage? You say, I'm going to give up drinking or I'm going to give up drugs or I'm going to give up whatever. And yet the first sign of trouble, we go right back to that thing that keeps us in bondage. We cry out to that thing for help versus the God of all help. It's interesting to me that the Israelites have been in bondage for so long. They had been in slavery for so long that they, they, they actually began. To, there was an attachment to Pharaoh that we see in this passage. Look just a few verses down. They go to Moses and Pharaoh and they say, you have made us abhorrent in the eyes of Pharaoh. Are you kidding me? You're his slaves. He treats you like dirt. He's had you in bondage for 400 years. And you think Moses and Aaron just suddenly you became abhorrent in his eyes. You always have been. He's your enemy, not your friend. But you see, they had been in slavery so long that they began to look at Pharaoh uh, not as their enemy. And Moses and Aaron, the one who came to deliver them, now he said they suddenly were the enemy. Oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that what we do to God? Everything's going great, and then suddenly one trouble after another, and our burdens start getting heavier. And who do we question? Who do we get angry at? Not Pharaoh, not the enemy. We get angry at God. Where are you? And and why are you doing this to me? And why am you making me make bricks without a straw? It's not right. And we start to get angry with God. And we go back to our taskmaster. We go back to our slave driver seeking solutions. Seeking to make something change. Have you ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Dave and I were studying about it this week. I think it was 1973, I think. There was a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. And these bank robbers were notorious, and they were really good at what they did. And they went in, and they took the whole bank hostage. And they had a bunch of hostages, and they made threats to them, and they took them hostage. And then they made all these demands to the police, and they wanted all of this elaborate stuff. And they were holding these people hostage until they got what they wanted. Well, what happened was they, they really started, the, the police had stormed the place and, and they were on bullhorns and, and they were demanding that they, they release the hostages. And somehow the, 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 the captors got in the hostages' minds and they really convinced them that they had their best interest at heart. What really shocked me is I read a story about how they, they, were gonna have to, they decided that they were going to have to prove to the police that they, meant, they, they were serious and that they meant business. And so they said to one of the hostages, you know what, we're going to have to shoot you. But, you know, we'll just shoot you in your, your leg. We won't shoot you dead. We'll just shoot your leg. And he's like, oh. He, he actually said to the New Yorker magazine, wasn't that nice of them? That they would just shoot me in the leg and not kill me? Uh, there were reports that, that when there was a, the, the police were shooting in through the windows and, and one of the bank robbers got shot and, and one of the hostages actually held him up in the window so he could continue to shoot at the police. It's interesting that, that after uh, what happened was, I think they drilled a hole in the ceiling and they piped gas in and they gassed them and then they went in and got the hostages and, and, and the captors. And, but it's interesting that when the, the captors were arrested, They could not find anybody to testify against them because they were so good, so to speak, to their hostages. They had sent out for food. They got their medicine brought in. They really thought that they were good to them. And so they couldn't find anyone who would testify against the bank robbers. And in fact, what happened was when they, when they went to prison, the bank, the hostages actually went into the prison to visit them for many years. They, there's a report that when one of them got out, they actually were engaged to be married to one of the, one of the hostages. The, the, the hostages got uh, all their money, collected all their money and had like a fundraising campaign to help the, the bank robbers pay for their attorney fees. Think about this. We laugh about it, but I'm telling you, it's no different than us. We have a captor. We have a slave driver. His name is Satan. And he wants to keep us in bondage. He wants to keep us slaves, captive to do his will. And yet somehow he gets us, he gets we get this unhealthy attachment to, 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 to that slavery. And we actually think it's not that bad. Slavery isn't that bad. You know, that person's in in bondage, but mine isn't that bad. And and we get this unhealthy attachment to it where it becomes our normal. And we really don't think it's all that bad. And that's what was happening to the Israelites because Moses said, God wants to, he wants to set you free. He's going to do what he said he would do. And, And then look at verse 18. They've been sent back out after they talked to Pharaoh and they were beaten and they increased their, their, um, their workload. And, and verse 19 says that the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Really? They didn't see that they were in trouble for the 400 years prior? But now that Moses and Aaron were on the scene and, and they were stirring this up and now that the burdens were increasing, they suddenly saw they were in trouble. You see, that's what we say. You say, Lord, why are you allowing all this in my life? Why are you allowing all this trouble in my life? Because I'm telling you, I don't see him in trouble until it starts to come over and over and over and he increases my trouble. And I finally realize, you know what? My life wasn't so good. I wasn't following him with all my heart. I wasn't committed to him the way I need it to be. And they saw that they were in trouble. It's interesting. I went out and bought some stepping stones today because this was what was in my heart. I was thinking about my own life and how when the enemy comes and increases my burden, just like Pharaoh increased the burden on the Israelites, how when my burden gets heavy, the first thing I do is question God instead of getting mad at that Pharaoh, the enemy. (laughs) I question God and I accuse him of not caring for me. And I'm like, Lord, why do I have to keep learning this lesson? Why don't I actually get this in the classroom? Why don't don't I understand that you have my best interest at heart and that I have the promises of God and that they are promises for me and that they are yay and amen if I only will believe them and that I need to stand on those promises and not be moved. I need to believe that you're who you say you are and that you're going to do what you say you can do and that when the enemy brings trouble and trials and tribulations that I am not moved because. I'm standing on the promise that you are my deliverer and that you are going to set me free from this thing. You're going to bring me through it victoriously. It is a challenge. Every time I go through it, it's a challenge to return to that promise and to understand he's a promise keeping God and not be moved by my circumstances. My niece, Polly, my great niece, Polly, sent me a Snapchat this week and it was her. She was at, a, at an indoor water park. She's a little teeny tiny thing and And they were at this indoor water park, and it was a massive pool. And and it was from one end to another, maybe, I don't know, wider, longer than this stage. And Polly was on these, they were like pods. They were little rafts almost, and they were tied together, but they were floating on the water. Are you with me? And she would stand on one side of the pool, and she'd have to step on these rafts to get to the other side. And you could see her, it was a video, and she's going like this when she's standing on the raft, and you know what's coming. You know she's going to fall off into the water. And if she does, it's deep water. And she's in over her head, and she's just this little teeny tiny thing. And so I'm seeing her go over these pods like this, And, and you can see her whole body. She's just, she's moving like this, trying to keep balance. So this week, when I'm studying this passage, and I'm asking the Lord Why I can't stand firm on his promises. And when there's deep water all around me, why, why do I ever fall off into the water and am overwhelmed by them? Why don't I get firm footing on that, on that promise? Why don't I stand on that promise? You say, well, Ria, why do you have stepping stones? Because unlike Polly's illustration, the Lord said to me today, every time, Ria, that I invite you to stand firm on a promise and believe me, even when your circumstances are overwhelming, when you are firmly standing on that promise, it's a stepping stone to the next one to get you to the promised land that I have for you and when you stand firm and you you conquer that one and you believe me even when it's hard you get to go to the next one and when you get your footing on that promise and you're not shaken by your circumstances and you stand immovable on the promise saying this is what God has told me I am not going to be moved by my circumstances. I'm not going to fall off and drown in them. I'm not going to let the enemy increase my burden and overwhelm me with my circumstances. I am standing firm. It's a stepping stone, Israelites, to get to the promised land. And you see, I had to stretch. Dave put my stepping stones up here and I said, make sure I have to stretch to get to them. Because I don't know about you. But every time I get firm footing on a promise, and I think I learned something about God, he stretches me to the next one and says, Rhea, can you get that one under your feet now? Because I get a promised land, a victory that I'm taking you to. And it's so worth it when you get over there. But if you fall off right now, you are going to be drowning in your circumstances. Little Polly had to scruffle. She had to like just really work to get to the edge of the pool. And she was hanging on with everything she had. And she had to get out and she had to start back over here with the first pod because she couldn't get on this one. She had fallen off. She had to start back square one. I can't even tell you how many times I get maybe here. And then the enemy says, like Pharaoh, oh, they're getting close. She, she's getting closer to her Lord. She, see, that's what the threat was. They want to go where? They, they want to go worship the Lord for three days? Oh, can't have that. Can't have them worshiping somebody other than me. Can't have them getting closer to their God. Mm-mm. Increase their burden, make them fall off. So they have to start back here all over Again. Let's just turn over to chapter 5, verse 21. Now, actually, go back to 22. It says, then they all came out from Pharaoh. This is the the Israelite foreman. They came out from Pharaoh, and they met Moses. And that word, met, means to make an attack. It means to rush on anyone with hostile violence. The commentators I read said they didn't meet, and and Moses and Aaron weren't standing there, and they just suddenly met up with them. It means that they... They camped out and they waited till they would meet with Moses and Aaron, till Moses and Aaron would, they waited for Moses and Aaron to attack them, to launch out on them because they were so angry about the circumstances. And they said, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble? And that word trouble means to break, to be evil, or to be injurious towards. See, that's what we do. We blame God and say, you're hurting me. You don't care about me. This is wrong, Lord. Lord, why have you brought trouble on these people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak, and that word speak there is debar. Debar is the Hebrew version of Ramah. <laughs> this is what strikes me. For since I've come to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, neither have you delivered your people at all. You haven't done anything. I had this Rama. Remember, we've talked about Rhema and Logos. Rhema is an aha word. It's, it's when God's word gets deep in your spirit and you really get it. You get the application to your life. You understand that he really wants to do this in your life. And it becomes alive in you. And nothing can steal that from you. And, and, and Debar is the Hebrew version of that. And, and what he's saying is, I got a revelation, Lord, that you were going to be my deliverer. And see, now you let me down. And isn't that what we do when we have a promise of God and he doesn't show up the way we think he should or he's not doing it in our timing? The first thing we do is we say, it means nothing. You don't love me. You don't care about me. Where are you, Lord? And he just wants you to hang on to that rhema. He just wants you to believe him. Even when your circumstances are shaky, even when you're overwhelmed by them, he wants you to believe that he's a promise-keeping God. And look what God says. Here's what really gets me is God isn't moved by Moses. I would be slapping that boy silly. I'd be like, did I not give a burning bush to you? When are you going to get this? I would just, but that'd, be, that'd be so mad if I was God. But no, I'm not God. He's not even moved by this. He doesn't reprimand Moses in any way. Look what he says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give to them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, which they were strangers. And I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. What is God's response to all their whining, to all their doubting, to all their questioning his promises? I'm going to keep my covenant because he's a covenant keeping God. But here's my favorite one. He says, wait till you see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Wait till you see it. And I feel like that's a word for somebody tonight. You're hanging on. You're trying to get firm footing on those stepping stones of faith. You're believing and you're holding on to a promise, but you're not seeing your circumstance change. In fact, they're getting worse. Oh, I got a word for you. Wait till you see what he is going to do. Because he is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He does not change like the shifting shadows. He doesn't. It's who he is. He will not betray his name. That is who he is. He won't betray his character. You can trust him, but you've got to get some firm footing on those promises. You've got to believe that he is who he says he is, and you've got to stop... You've got to stop wobbling and falling off those promises and you've got to choose to stand firm, to get good footing on them and believe that he's who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because that is the challenge tonight because your circumstances, I'm telling you, the enemy is going to make sure to increase your burdens. He's going to make sure that he puts heavy loads on you. He's going to make sure that everything begins to fall to pieces. You see, that's why he took the straw from the bricks, because when you take the straw from the bricks, they just crumble. Everything starts crumbling, and he's going to make sure that everything you put your hands to begins to crumble in your life, and he's going to increase your circumstances, because he doesn't want you standing firm, believing you your God is who he says he is and I promise you he is